Good evening and welcome again. Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate so much your presence. I know that it is a holiday weekend and so we got some people that are on the road traveling and uh, we want to keep them in our prayers and pray that they will return to us safely. We're going to be looking tonight at the book of Leviticus in chapter 10 and we want to be discussing tonight Nadab and Abihu. And so we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. I do want to mention, Brother Billy asked me to make mention of this tonight, but there was a pair of glasses found in the pew, I assume, this morning. And so if this is your pair of glasses, I'll put it on the seat up here, and you can retrieve them. I hope you're able to see tonight. If you're not able to see, you might want to come get them now. But uh, nonetheless, they are here for you. Tonight we're looking at the book of Leviticus and we're going to be talking about the priesthood. And as we begin our study, we have been looking at some of the great characters of Scripture and we have talked about some of the great men and women of God. Tonight we're going to be looking at what might be viewed by some as a negative situation because Nadab and Abihu violated the will of God, and as a result of that, we're put to death. And so we're going to be talking about that in a minute. I want to begin our study tonight by first and foremost talking about the duty of the priesthood or the duty of those who functioned in this capacity. Now, the first thing that I want to mention very quickly is the fact that based on what the Hebrew writer said over in chapter 5 at verse 1, that God is the one that appointed the priesthood. And that was the case with Nadab and Abihu and their father Aaron, Aaron being the first high priest. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, that they were to offer both gifts and sacrifices. But I want to ask you, if you would, to turn back as we look at this account, turn back to chapter 8, in the book of Leviticus. I think there's some things that maybe we ought to consider in light of our study tonight because it really helps to amplify the problem that we read about in chapter 10. And so in verse 10 we have an account of Moses taking anointing oil and anointing the tabernacle and all that was in it and he sanctified them. Now back in the book of Exodus in chapter 19 and about verse 22, God had said, and you remember God, God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Moses had said that it was God who had borne them on eagles' wings and brought them unto Himself. And then He entered into a covenant relationship with them. That covenant was conditional in nature, predicated on their willingness to obedient obedience to His will. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so down in chapter 19, at about verse 22, God said concerning the priests that they were to sanctify themselves. In other words, they were to be set apart. They had a very special purpose before Almighty God. And so in Leviticus chapter 8, we have an account of the priest being anointed and that would also include the tabernacle. And then they were sanctified. Now, a couple of thoughts here. You remember, for example, in Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah pointed to the coming of the Christ. 
And he talked about how the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him and that he would be anointed with oil. And so over in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had engaged in a series of temptations with the devil, successful in battling the devil. He left that particular mountain and then made his way to Galilee and then on into Nazareth. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 that on the day of the Sabbath, Jesus entered into the synagogue in Nazareth. And the Bible says he stood up to read and there was handed to him a scroll, that is, the book of Isaiah. And you remember Jesus turned to Isaiah chapter 61 and he quoted what the prophet had said about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him and how he had been anointed and that he was to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those who were captives and so on. Well, after having read that passage of Scripture, the Bible says that he took the book, sat down, handed it back to the attendant, and the people's eyes were fastened on the Lord in the synagogue. And Jesus said, This day, these words or this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus Christ, who functions as our great high priest, was anointed by Almighty God for that task. Now, the name Messiah means what? The anointed one, doesn't it? And so Jesus, as our great high priest, was anointed by God for a very special purpose. And just as those high priests under the Levitical system offered gifts and sacrifices to God, what did Jesus do? He offered Himself as a sacrifice for sin. Now, note the continuation in verse 11. The text says that he sprinkled some of, it, some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to sanctify them. So here again, this idea of being sanctified. Those of us who belong to the family of God, when we obey the gospel, you remember the apostle Paul said that God delivers us out of the world of darkness. We are translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and Corinth had a lot of problems, and yet those people had been redeemed by the blood of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 11. After having enumerated some of the sins that had been characteristic of those who lived in Corinth, Paul said, and such were some of you, but you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. So they had been sanctified or set apart. Well, from what? From the world unto God. And so when Paul began his letter to the church at Corinth, you remember what he said to them? To those who belonged to the church of God at Corinth, those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Every Christian has been sanctified, set apart from the world unto Almighty God. We are to live, as Paul said, a holy, righteous, and godly life in Christ Jesus. So we've been sanctified, we're called saints, 
And we are also said to be a priesthood of believers, aren't we? So think about that for a minute as we continue on. In verse 12, the Bible says, He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Now, those who functioned as priests, they stood between God and man, didn't they? Jesus functions as our great high priest. The means by which we have a relationship with God and the very way that we approach God is through whom? Jesus Christ. You remember, for example, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. In chapter 8, verse 1. And the writer there said, We have such a high priest. Back in chapter 4, he had said that our great high priest has ascended into the heavens. So our high priest is making intercession for us. That is, he is before the very throne of God. He is interceding on our behalf. He functions today as our great high priest. Now look at what is said, verse 13. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them. Aaron had four sons. And the Bible says he girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord had commanded Moses. Think about this for a minute. Under the Mosaic dispensation, you had a great high priest, you had a high priest. Under him, you had priests. In this instance, we're talking about Aaron's sons, his four sons. Jesus is said to be our great high priest. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are living stones and that as living stones we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, how so? Because we are priests. And so under that Mosaic economy you had a high priest and under him a priesthood. Under the new dispensation you have our great high priest who is Jesus Christ. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, that is those of us who've obeyed the gospel, who have been sanctified, set apart for God, we are defined or described by Peter as a royal priesthood. That's important. And that as a priesthood of believers, whether male or female, we are to offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. So having said that, let's turn now. I'll tell you what, before we look at some other verses in chapter 8, turn over to chapter 10 now. In chapter 9, we have an account of sacrifices being offered on behalf of the people and those who functioned as priests. And you remember in verse 22, the Bible says that Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering and burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So, here we have the response of the people to what they saw take place by Almighty God. 
Now make the transition to chapter 10, verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered strange or profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from them, or rather from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord, the Lord has spoken. By those who come near me. Now listen to this. I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. God is saying, look, when you come before me, you need to understand you are in the presence of a holy God and that I am to be glorified by you. I am to be glorified by how you conduct yourself. So with that in mind, turn back now to chapter 8 again. In chapter 8, let's, let's look back for just a moment or two at some verses that I think are really imperative in our study. Now in verse 1, the Bible says that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses, listen to this, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. I would underscore that. Look at verse 5. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Drop down, look at verse 13. Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, put hats or headgear, caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then look at verse 21. Latter part of verse 21, it was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Drop down if you would, look at verse 35. Therefore you shall abide at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. Again, emphasis on what? the commands of Almighty God. Look at verse 36. In verse 36, Moses records these words. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Somewhat striking to think that they did exactly what God said and then to turn around and completely ignore his word, or His will. So, over and over again in chapter 8, what do you have? An emphasis on the commandments of the Lord. God's the one that initiated a law to govern the nation of Israel. And God's the one that set before the nation of Israel a pattern, parameters, wherein they might approach Him and enjoy a relationship to Him. They had a law. They were to live by faith. They were to look forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. And all of those Old Testament sacrifices typified the ultimate sacrifice that occurred just outside the walls of Jerusalem on Calvary's cross. When Jesus was lifted up between 
two thieves. He made one offering for sin, as the Hebrew writer said, forever, and sat down at the right hand of Almighty God. So God wanted them to honor His Word. Nadab and Abihu sadly disregarded the command of Almighty God. Turn over to chapter 16 in the book of Leviticus. They offered, as Moses said, strange fire, profane fire. In chapter 16, in verse 12, the Bible says, talking about the priest, Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire, from where? Listen to what the text says. From the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. These two young men were disobedient to God. As a result of that, God put them to death. And we'll talk about that in just a moment or two. But again, go back and look at chapter 10. Listen again to what God said. God said in verse 3, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. If we were to go back and look at the Old Testament, there is a lot of emphasis placed on honoring the commands of Almighty God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, God said through Moses that they, that they were not to add to His Word nor take from it, that they might keep the commands of the Lord which He had commanded them. In Proverbs chapter 30, at verse 6, you remember the writer there said, Add not unto His Word lest He reprove you and you be found a liar. Well, what about the New Testament? Are there warnings in the New Testament about adding to, taking from, taking away from the Word of God? There are adequate warnings, aren't there? There are some people that have the idea that we are not under any kind of restraint or law under this new dispensation that we call the Christian age. But Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. He is the one that has purchased the church with His blood. He has left for us His last will and testament, signed and sealed by His blood, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. God the Father said of Jesus, when he was transfigured on the mountaintop, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. Setting before people of all ages the importance of listening to what God said. And not just listening, but honoring what he said. Do you remember he asked the question on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 6, Paul said that we are not to go beyond the things which are written. What if we go beyond what is written in Scripture? What then? Do you remember what John said, 2 John 9? Whosoever goes onward abides not in the doctrine of Christ, listen to him, has not God. When we 
overstep our boundaries and step outside the will of Almighty God, we find ourselves on very thin ice. And John said, our relationship with the Father has been suffered because of that. In Revelation chapter 22, in the closing verses of chapter 22, you remember John said, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away, or rather God will take his name out of the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. Now I understand contextually he's talking there about what is recorded in the book that we call Revelation. But as I mentioned just a moment ago, that theme runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. It was true under the Old Covenant. It's true under the New Covenant. We do not have the authority, the latitude, to bend God's Word to fit what we want to do. Nadab and Abihu, they got themselves in trouble with Almighty God because they disregarded what He said. I want to look at another verse in just a minute or two. There are a lot of lessons here. One of the lessons, I think, that emerges out of a study of what Nadab and Abihu did in the long ago has to do with respecting the authority of the Bible. There was a day and time in churches of Christ when most people, by and large, believed in and respected the authoritative words of Christ. And there was a day and time in our brotherhood, I think, when people often would ask the question, what does the Bible say? But you know, we live in a day and time when people, they don't think like that any longer. They don't operate that way. They don't ask, okay, what does the Bible say about this? I've mentioned this before and I want to just maybe re-emphasize it. I have read and heard of elderships who have commented on a particular practice, for example, the woman's role, expanding the woman's role, or the usage of the instrument in worship to God. And so they go back and they say, you know what, we want to just restudy this issue. Now listen, we all need to study and restudy. But it seems to me that those who go back and quote-unquote restudy the issue, the conclusion is always the same, and that is if they're restudying the issue of instrumental music, then what they say is we come to the conclusion that that's okay, that's acceptable. If they're restudying the issue of the woman's role in the church, their conclusion is, well, we've decided that God has given us latitude to allow women to function in a more visible capacity in worship to Almighty God. Listen, why not just be honest up front? Why not just say, this is what we want to do, this is what we're going to do, and do it. Instead of going through the ruse of saying we're going back and studying and restudying, listen, there are a lot of folks in our brotherhood, they want, they want the instrument, they're going to have it. So just be honest. That's what we want, we're going to do it. We want women to have a more expanded role in worship. 
They want it, and guess what? They're going to do it. But here's the question. What does the Bible say? That's critical to the study. There is not one single solitary scripture that supports the usage of instrumental music in worship to God. Not one. Now, when you read Leviticus chapter 10, the Bible says that God put those boys to death. I had a friend of mine say not long ago, whenever you read in Scripture of God putting somebody to death, you need to pause and you need to think about that. There are some brethren in churches of Christ, they need to step back and see the smoldering bodies of Nadab and Abihu and rethink where they're headed. Because I can tell you right now, they have gone beyond what's written. They're not in fellowship with God, and they are not in fellowship with faithful churches of Christ. That's the bottom line. Let's just be honest. You can't walk according to the doctrines and commandments of men and have fellowship with Christ. You can't go beyond what's written and be in fellowship with God's people. It doesn't work that way. Go back and read the account of Isaiah. Remember him? Did he have noble intentions in steadying the ark? I have no doubt. But he tried to steady the ark, and what did God do? Struck him dead. And do you remember what David said some years later? David said, by way of commentary, we did not follow the due order. What David was saying is, we didn't follow God's pattern, and because of that, we faced terrible circumstances. We paid a heavy price for that. Now let me tell you what, in churches of Christ, if folks want to roll the instrument in, they can roll it in, but I can promise you this, you're going to pay a heavy price. You can have women preach, you can have women serve as elders. You can change your worship service from Sunday morning to Saturday night, but there's no authority for it. And you will do it without God's approval. That's it. I mentioned not long ago, Christmas time. A man that has been highly respected in days gone by, preacher in the Lord's church, let me tell you who it was. It was Rubel Shelley. Let me just be right up front. I want you to know exactly who I'm talking about. Rubel Shelley led a candlelight service on Christmas Eve in Nashville, Tennessee. And as I watched him lead that service by way of going back and looking at it on YouTube, I noticed in his hand he was holding a communion packet. And I thought, no, you don't. Surely you're not going to take the Lord's Supper. This was Friday evening. And do you know what he did? He led prayer for the bread, led prayer for the cup, and they all took the Lord's Supper. I want to ask you a question. What does the Bible say about that? That brother at one time knew better. And I'm convinced he still ought to know better. The problem is he walked away from the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what, 
when people overstep their boundaries. You go back and you read about Nadab and Abihu, and you tell me when you stand before God as an innovator in the Lord's church, you tell me, how's that going to work out? i tell you how it's going to work out. And it won't be favorable. If anything, we have been too soft in churches of Christ on those who are advancing progression. That is, progressive ideas. There are congregations of God's people, they'll have bake sales and rummage sales. They'll have neighborhood sales to fund the work of the... We don't do that kind of stuff. That's what the denominational world does. We give every first day of the week. Now, if you want to give a check to the Lord's church through the week, you have that opportunity, but we're not going to pass the plate when we come together on Wednesday night. Why? Because that's not what God said. And yet we've got brethren that are having rummage sales and they're having neighborhood sales so that they can raise money for a mission trip or something. Listen, that is not authorized. See how relevant what we're talking about is in terms of Nadab and Abihu? I know there's some people... There are some people that say, well, you know, you're just a bad guy. I can't believe you'd talk about that kind of stuff. Well, why not? If you're doing it publicly, then we ought to talk about it. We ought to be honest and above board and just call it like it is. Let me just call it like it is, and here it is, one word, sin. That's what it is. It's transgression. And what was it John said? Whoever goes onward, abides not in the doctrine of Christ. Listen to what John said. Has not God. If any man comes to you, bring not this teaching. Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Why? Because he that bids him Godspeed is partaker in his evil deeds. I am not going to worship with brethren in churches of Christ that use the instrument. I'm not going to worship with brethren in the Lord's church who are using women to preach, to teach, to lead public prayer, to read Scripture publicly. Why? Because it's sinful. I don't want anybody to leave here with any misunderstanding of what I'm talking about. When we leave here, we need to understand what the Bible teaches. We might not like it, the question is not, do we like it? The question is, are we willing to honor the authority of the Bible? And again, that ought to be the question today. What does the Bible say? Now, there are those that would say, well, you know, you're just old-fashioned, narrow-minded, and old fuddy duddy Well, maybe so. Maybe that's the case. But you know what? I want to be biblical and balanced. I don't care what the world says. And when I see brethren in churches of Christ that are moving away from the pattern, it ought to get our attention. There's a brother in Nashville, Tennessee, longtime preacher in that area. I think he's retired now, served as an elder in the Lord's Church. A man that, in my opinion, very balanced, very biblical, very logical, not in any way an extremist. And here's what he said, and I mentioned Rubel Shelley a minute ago. He said, Rubel Shelley has done more to hurt the Church of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee, than anyone since Jesse Ferguson in the 1800s. Now you just think about that for a minute. 
Well, why do I bring that up? Because when I look at Nashville, Tennessee, when I went to school there some years back, Nashville, Tennessee, by and large, congregationally, it was a strong city. And congregations in Nashville were strong and faithful to God. But that's not the case anymore. And one of the questions that I have about those who preach and teach in Nashville today, what's being done, what's being said to stop, to stop the false doctrine? To somehow put the brakes on those who are progressive. You know what I hear? Not a word. Silent as crickets. Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Very quickly, time's gone. Look if you would, drop down, drop down and note if you would what is said in verse 6. Moses said to Aaron, to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail, weep bitterly the burning which the Lord has kindled. Don't you find it strange that God said to Aaron and his two boys, you are not to mourn over Nadab and Abihu. You know what God was saying? God was saying, I am justified in what I have done. And you need to understand that they did not follow the authority of my word and what I have done is right. And that set the tone among the nation of Israel. What that says to me is when it comes to divine truth, and please listen very carefully, when it comes to truth, we have no friends or family members. Let me just say that again. When it comes to truth, we have no friends or family members. When I stand in this pulpit, my only desire is to please Almighty God and to preach His Word. I'm not here to please friends or family members or anybody else. My job is to preach the Word. And if God's Word, if God's Word cuts the heart, then so be it. And if people don't like it, so be it. But as long as I preach, my goal is to preach the Word. Nothing more and nothing less. Do you remember what Jesus said? If any man come to me, hate not father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister. He said, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus also said, He that loves father or mother more than me, not worthy of me. There are some parents, and sadly some parents in our brotherhood, whose children have chosen to live a rebellious, ungodly life. And rather than standing up and saying, you know what, what they're doing is wrong. They have sanctioned their behavior. They have turned a blind eye to their behavior. I don't think God wants us to do that. And I think when people step outside the boundaries of what the New Testament teaches, 
There comes a point in time when disciplinary action has to be taken. Why? To save the soul. You remember what Paul said, a little leaven leavens a whole lump? So we've got to stand for what's right regardless. Regardless of whether it's a friend or family member. Now, we don't, we don't take a stand to be ugly or haughty or arrogant. We're not trying to hurt people. But we need to stand for truth, what's right. One other very quick point before we, before we close down. Look at verse 9. In verse 8, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxic intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Why? That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. You may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. You can make the case that Nadab, Nadab and Abihu were drunk, that they drank intoxicating drink, and that is an inhibitor. So when people drink alcoholic beverages, what does it do? It dulls their senses to what is right and wrong. Is it possible? I'm just asking this question. Is it possible that these boys were inebriating, inebriated and because they were drunk, they decided to do it their way instead of God's way? Just a thought. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, would you come to Christ? Would you be willing to obey the gospel? to lay aside the ways of the world, to simply follow Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not a member of the body of Christ, what would you need to do? Well, you've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. And then to turn from a life of sins called repentance. Confess the name of Christ. Be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. And then the Bible says God will add you to the church. You can read, you can read about it in Acts chapter 2. And then... Be faithful until death. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not living as you should, you need to be restored to God, please come home. Let us pray with you and for you tonight as we, as we stand and sing.